Hello and welcome to PwC's Economics in Business podcast. I'm Hannah Dino, an economist here at PwC, and I'm really very, very excited about this episode today. We're going to be talking all about the green jobs agenda, but focusing on what this means for developing countries. We all know that, the, that building back greener is now absolutely imperative, but key questions remain about how to make this transition work for all countries and for all people. So in this podcast, we'll be discussing how the green agenda could widen global inequalities and crucially what policymakers can do to intervene, to plug skills gaps and to maximise the rewards globally. To answer these questions, I'm joined today by Satina Lucheva and Jack Steenson from PwC UK's International Development Team. Hi both, thanks for joining me today. Hi Hannah, thanks for having us. Hello Hannah. Hey, so to kick things off, Satina, can you start talking a little bit about the current global skills landscape and what's disrupting it? Thank you, Hannah, and thanks for having us again. Well, since 2020, the economy and labor market worldwide have experienced unprecedented disruption. And I think it's important that we don't confuse this, which is the COVID pandemic, because in fact, it's been a perfect storm of three disruptive forces coming together. It's COVID, automation, and the transition to a greener economy. Jobs are going now because of COVID, but they won't return because of automation. And in the medium term in particular, the transition to a green economy is going to reshape the jobs available and the skills needed for those jobs. The reality is we don't have a choice. We have to deal with this storm. We didn't choose for COVID to come, but it's here. And we're facing a climate emergency, and therefore our only option as humanity is to move to a greener economy. However, we have to be conscious that whereas the move to a greener economy is very positive, it is happening at a time of a major disruption for liveli- of livelihoods and business. And therefore, we are seeing a emer- re-emergence of gender inequality and socioeconomic inequalities and poverty are deepening at a speed unpre- unprecedented and unseen for some time. For example, the UN estimates that 71 million people were pushed back into extreme poverty in 2020 alone. This is the first rise in global poverty since 1998. And this is just the beginning, of course. This is the first year we have data for. It's the first year of impact. This rapid change has led to a labor market paradox. We have a situation where millions of people are losing their livelihoods. And at the same time, there is a shortage of skills for the new green jobs that are emerging. The PwC 2021 CEO survey shows very clearly that 73% of CEOs see availability of key skills as a top concern. Business leaders repeatedly highlight that the skills available to them don't keep up with the demand for green jobs. Now, this mix of skill shortages and increasing poverty can create a very dangerous downward socioeconomic spiral. The poorer people are, the less likely they are to be able to focus on or invest in upskilling or reskilling. When you're poor, when you're struggling to make ends meet, you focus on that. Without the right skills and at the right place at the right time, businesses that are already stressed by COVID cannot grow. And we know that without business growth, there is no growth. And without growth, there is more poverty and then more inequality. And this combination can be lethal and have a very significant lasting impact on the already fragile equilibrium we've achieved in our societies. This is why targeted global and national level interventions focused on skills are an immediate priority. There are two major global events coming up. 
this year where skills need to be a focus, the G7 and COP26. And it so happens that the UK is leading both. And as such, it, is, it has a major role to play in setting the agenda. Thanks for that great summary, Satina. Turning to you now, Jack, um, with so many priorities post-COVID, what benefits can be realised from investing in skills? Thanks, Hannah. And, and building on what Zatina has just shared, e even before the pandemic struck, experts had long identified upskilling and reskilling as key drivers of economic growth. The World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs report in 2020 shows that half of all employees around the world will need upskilling by 2025. And that number doesn't even include all of the people who are currently not in employment. The incentive for global governments is clear. Wide-scale investment in upskilling has the potential to boost global GDP by 6.5 trillion US dollars and create 5.3 million new jobs by 2030. Sectors that have long suffered from low wage growth on output for decades could, reach, could reap significant benefits, which can help reduce inequality and polarization. If we take the health and social care sector, for example, it could add 380 billion US dollars additional GDP through upskilling by 2030. Less developed economies could also realize greater gains as a percentage of GDP. The Sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America regions could see over 7% additional GDP by 2030 if they start investing in upskilling now. In short, all of the trends that Zatina just mentioned have accelerated. I personally recently spent a year working in Kinshasa in the DRC, and our team worked to create a better business environment for Congolese entrepreneurs. In just five years, the DRC moved up from the 184th to 54th easiest country for starting a business, according to the World Bank's indicators. That said, COVID-19 has stalled a lot of this progress, shown by 55% year-on-year reduction in the number of business registrations. We also witnessed that the impact on these businesses greatly affected gender equity. Unfortunately, efforts to boost gender inequality have suffered. The proportion of female business registries fell from 29% in quarter one of 2020 to 23% in quarter two. Wow, yeah, that, that's quite a drop off. Um, let's dig into the green economy a bit more now. Satina, you have a background in energy and infrastructure. Can you take us through a bit what could happen in these sectors as the world goes green? Energy and construction and infrastructure more broadly will definitely be very affected by the move to build back greener or to build back better as it is more popularly known. The jobs that exist today in the energy sector, for example, might not be around in five, ten years time. Just as an example, the International Labour Organization has done a review of the petroleum extraction and refinery sector, coal mining, coal mining and production of, of electricity uh, related to coal. And they predict that about 6 million jobs will be lost in those sectors alone. And this is only the direct jobs, not to mention how there are many towns in developing countries that are built around mines and the whole infrastructure with schools and hospitals and so on relies on the income from the mines and the communities that are there for the mines. Beyond these jobs losses, as the climate emergency affects natural resources, the International Labour Organization predicts that 72 million full-time jobs will be lost by 2030 due to the heat stress, temperature increases, for example, things like shorter agricultural hours as the heat increases and becomes unbearable. 
This will affect the poorest the most, of course, because they tend to be the ones who are doing smallholder and subsistence agriculture. What does this mean? This means that we don't have another option but to move to a green economy. And it also means that we have to make that transition work. And it is, for example, the green economy is estimated to create 24 million jobs by 2030. Even more, most, more importantly, it will protect jobs that depend on the environmental balance. Agriculture, we talked about, fisheries, tourism. An estimated 1.2 billion jobs globally at the moment depend on us preserving our ecosystems and avoiding extreme weather. The problem is that this transition is happening in the context of COVID, as we mentioned already, where we are seeing major pressures. Rich countries can afford furlough schemes, business support and welfare systems, and we've seen a lot of this. And these systems, this safety net gives people a chance to reskill, to find another job or to go back to education if they would like to without falling into poverty. Poorer countries don't have that kind of safety net by and large. The COVID restrictions hit day laborers, hairdressers, informal traders along transport corridors, and they hit them within 24 hours of the restrictions being implemented. If there were any savings, they're gone. And without savings and struggling to make ends meet, there is no time to invest in going back to education and people are just taking the jobs that are around. And we also know that this trend has affected women even more because women tend to be the ones in the informal jobs. They also tend to be the carers. When people in the family are sick, it's the women who stay behind to cater. And therefore they have had experienced even a more significant drop in income on average. They, the women, women in particular have been very hard hit by the pandemic. And we also know that when women are hit and when women focus on uh, surviving and making ends meet, they also start deprioritizing the education of their children. So this could have a generational impact. In addition to the individual impacts and the household impacts, businesses have been hit hard too. They cannot afford to take on the cost of reskilling and upskilling. Jack talked about what's happening in the Congo with businesses. This trend is very similar across Africa and Asia in low-income countries. Government support in the poorest countries has been highly inadequate. Support totaled about 10% of GDP in rich countries, whereas in some of the poorest countries it's been only 1%. And of course, it's 1% of a much smaller pot. That can be a particular challenge for the green businesses that we need for the green economy, like, for example, renewable energy. Renewable energy requires significant government incentives upfront to commercialize. And therefore, in the absence of these kind of investments, the businesses are not able to take the cost of upskilling and training its workforce. To put it simply, due to COVID and its impact on the economy, there is less money to go around. And we just have to be very conscious when we're thinking about the transition to green jobs. And this is why government interventions are so important. And Jack, what are the implications for global inequality? I mean, Hannah, to put it very simply, unless, unless there's an immediate intervention, we will see a sharp and rapid increase in global inequality. We'll also see rising global kind of poverty levels. And as we know, rising poverty means more migration, more conflict and even further health crises. We cannot simply vaccinate our way out of this problem as COVID-19 is not the only driver, as Latina has alluded to. In developing countries, the people who lost their livelihoods the fastest are the least likely to be able to reskill rapidly. 
In a global economy with global supply chains, this will lead to stunted growth in both importing and exporting countries. So the challenges are pretty clear, but what can the green economy offer to the poorest to help address these inequalities going forward? Well, it's a good question, Hannah, and uh, thank you for it, because um, we need to be, of course, very cautious that the green economy offers a lot of opportunities. There are some immediate opportunities. There are some immediate jobs like, say, counting trees for offsets that don't demand too much upskilling. And there, is, there are also many opportunities in the construction sector we mentioned, for example, refitting existing housing stock, replacing old boilers with new ones, insulation, building different types of housing that is more heat resistance and so on. There is an example in Kenya, Mobiso, uh, where mo uh, this is a business that has started offering uh, solar energy, off-grid solar energy on a pay-as-you-go basis. And very quickly, they have employed about 2,000 staff and contractors in rural communities amongst the poorest. They have invested in upskilling them, and they have had a major social impact, both in terms of providing energy and providing employment. So there are definitely some low-hanging fruit, immediate um, opportunities that will help the poorest. However, for the most of the green economy jobs or the jobs we expect to uh, exist in five, ten years will need more skills and more training. Uh, for example, if you think of the new generation of, again, as I mentioned, the gener new generation of heat pumps or the new hydrogen batteries we expect to have, uh, we would need people who have the skills to fix these, to install them and then to maintain them. The experience, even in developed countries, as in the UK, say the experience of the Green Grant Scheme shows that even with government support, it takes time to create the necessary skills in the supply chain to do the transition at scale and at speed. So to get to the scale and speed needed to replace lost jobs, there is a need for numerous green businesses to step up their innovation and they will need the labor skills to deliver it. In the UK, for example, the government has started very interesting new schemes to support small and medium enterprises in the transition. And we welcome this because small and medium enterprises on, on average are the ones who can least afford to be investing in upskilling and training the workforce. These kind of schemes, these kind of interventions will be needed in developing countries as well, especially the poorest. As businesses struggle, policymakers need to intervene to support the transition to more sustainable jobs and investments. There could be targeted schemes to support green businesses, as we discussed, say renewable energy, and to think what are the skills that they need and plan ahead and support the development of these skills. And so, final question from me, Jack, what does this mean for policymakers and for leaders? Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, that, that's a very good question. I think this is kind of the, the key linchpin of all of our all of our kind of analysis in, in PwC. We're very aware of the opportunities that come with the transition of the green economy, but there also are a lot of perils that we need to need to kind of avoid as well. So to avoid this snowballing social crisis, we need a global focus on the skills needed for this green economy, but we also need rapid action at the national level. We need clearly defined sector and location specific skills creation strategies and interventions. Many countries have already successfully designed and implemented such interventions and in that way offer a, a blueprint for others. For example, the UK has established a cross-government green jobs task force with representatives from different departments and the private sector. In Europe, another example is the Luxembourg Skills Bridge, which is open to all companies and offers them technical assistance to plan their future jobs and skills management. 
These employees benefit from a skills assessment and an advisor to support them throughout the entire process. When it comes to funding these national upskilling initiatives, there simply isn't a one size fits all approach. And in a lot of cases, poor countries will rely on global backing from donors. If we take the, the Global Green Growth Institute, for instance, this is an intergovernmental global organization that is currently helping 34 emerging markets transform and future-proof their economies. They primarily achieve this by embedding environmentally friendly and socially inclusive green growth practices. So all, all of these kind of examples that we just walked through are precisely the kind of cooperation and intervention needed in other countries. And they will be crucial for employability at the individual level and to boost economic growth, but also for gender balance and inclusion. The UK has a unique opportunity to focus global leaders' attention on this issue through its leadership at the G7 and COP26 later in the year. Simply put, net zero will not happen unless leaders can articulate how we will transition to this greener economy whilst creating jobs and opportunities. Thanks both. This has been such an interesting and really important conversation and one that I'm sure will increasingly rise up the global policy agenda. And thank you all for listening. For more information on PwC's work in this area, head to the links in the episode description for our Future of Work campaign and also for our work with the World Economic Forum. And as always, please do subscribe to Future Economics in Business podcasts. <music>